Listener Production. G'day, it's Jan Fran here. And when you think about artificial intelligence, what is the first thing that springs to mind? So for me, it's, you know, a quirky program like ChatGPT and all sentient machines that'll bring about the end of humanity at some point in the future. I don't tend to think of AI as something that I can use to get me a day off work each week. But as you'll hear later in our briefing today, that's exactly what it's being used for. Are you using it to skive off work, Tom? Yeah, I've actually never used uh, chat GPT, Jan, and I was speaking to some friends recently and they're like, what do you mean you haven't used it yet? We're using it all the time. You're a journalist. You should definitely be using it wasn't so sure about that but we are looking into that today just how widely used it is already because uh, Deloitte a consulting firm has just surveyed thousands of Australian workers and as you're about to hear it finds that AI isn't something that's coming in the future it's already being widely used. A third of workers are already using these technologies um, the younger workers under 24 are three times more likely to be using them than their peers so those who are using it daily are saving upwards of five hours in their work week. That is our briefing with Katrina Blouse. First, here are today's headlines. It is Wednesday, September 13. Yes, we are kicking off with news about The Voice and prominent Indigenous Yes campaigner and architect of The Voice, Marcia Langdon, has been forced to defend accusations that she called no voters racist and stupid. So the audio of this has made its way into the Australian newspaper. It's from an event in Bunbury on the weekend in WA. Uh, Here is the comment in question. Every time the no case raises one of their arguments, if you start pulling it apart, you get down to base racism. I'm sorry to say it, but that's where it lands. Or just sheer stupidity. Now, Marsha Langdon has come out defending herself, saying that she doesn't believe most Australians are racist, but she said that the No campaign were using racist tactics. So a bit of a um, different position on the wording and what she actually meant when she said that, Tom. Yeah, and this is controversial because it's been something that the Yes campaigners are being careful to avoid. You know, calling No voters racist was never going to win them over to the Yes campaign. In fact, probably quite the opposite. People don't like being called racist. And that's not exactly what Marsha Langdon was doing, but I think she might have gone a bit too close to it there. And now the opposition and the Murdoch media have jumped on these comments and she may have done some harm to the yes movement that she's worked so hard on. And there's also been another interesting story this time from the other side of the referendum campaign. So uh, a script has leaked from a training session held by Fair Australia who are training volunteers on the No campaign. And the script shows that the volunteers were told to refrain from saying they were part of the No campaign as it would scare people and throw them. And then the script encourages them to say that those who designed The Voice are campaigning to abolish Australia Day and want to use The Voice to push for compensation and reparations through a treaty. And it described uh, Victoria as a Dan Andrews concentration camp. So yeah, very interesting there too, Jan. Yeah, just um, I think both sides have accused each other of misinformation and of taking 
people out of context, um, which is unfortunately something that we've seen happen in the last few months. And given that the referendum is coming up October 14, something that we will, I hope not, but I suspect that we will keep seeing um, in the coming weeks as well. And there are over 10,000 people missing, feared dead in the Libyan flood, where two dams burst in the city of Derna. At least 1,300 victims have been identified and buried, but hundreds more have been piling up in cemeteries uh, and survivors haven't been able to identify them. So as well as the 10,000 plus missing, tens of thousands have been displaced from their homes with no prospect of going back. Yeah, this is a situation where engineers have been warning for some time about the risk of dams bursting. Uh, and saying that there needs to be an urgent effort to strengthen them. So um, seeing this, I can only imagine, would be very galling. It also comes just a few days after the earthquake in Morocco, um, also in that part of the world there in North Africa, where almost 3,000 people are dead. And over to the United States, where there has been an impeachment inquiry launched into, not Trump this time, but Joe Biden. So the Republican U.S. House of Reps Speaker Kevin McCarthy has launched the inquiry. Uh, He says it will look into whether Joe Biden profited from his son Hunter's business dealings. Not looking likely to get up, though. The House of Representatives in the US, um, where it has to be passed, is finely balanced. But in the Senate, this would have to go past a two-thirds majority, a supermajority. So that's very unlikely. But if it got through the House, that's still quite bad. That's what happened to Donald Trump with his two impeachments. Um, They were passed in the House of Reps, but were voted down in the Senate. So clearly, this is going to create more drama, if that were possible, heading into next year's presidential election campaign. Yeah, well, that's one of the arguments of Biden's team. Um, They've called it extreme politics at its worst. Um, And they say that the Republican Party has been investigating Biden for months and are yet to present strong evidence of any corruption. I suppose if they launched an impeachment hearing and they've got the evidence, you'd expect to see it in the next few weeks and months. So stand by. All right. Right after this message, Katrina Blouse will be with you looking at how uh, ubiquitous AI technology already is in the workplace. Okay, so how many positive interviews have you heard about AI? I don't think until the one you're about to hear today that I've heard or I've done a single one. It has all been about cheating in school, writing dodgy wedding speeches and then passing them off as your own or how AI is going to take over our jobs and make humans redundant. The global firm Deloitte has just surveyed thousands of Australian workers and students and the picture they paint about AI is very different. Yeah, there is going to be change, but it doesn't all have to be bad. The key message is we need to do a whole lot more to get prepared for what is coming. Dr Kelly Nuttall is the AI lead for Deloitte and she joins us on the briefing now. Kelly, what was the most surprising finding for you that perhaps you weren't expecting in this report? You know, I wasn't surprised by the results at all really because I work in a professional services firm which is full of younger workers and and we're seeing this play out around us every day. So I think for me, 
probably the thing that surprised me most was how few organisations are actually prepared for this. So only 9% of organisations actually have a strategy at the moment for how to deal with the rise of generative AI and how it will impact their business. This surprised me too, because normally Australians are early adopters of new technology, but it seems when it comes to AI, is it that we're spooked? We think it's going to take over our jobs? The one thing I notice when I I go and talk to organisations is there's still a lot of uh, senior leaders in businesses who really just don't understand what this technology is. And when you look at the university courses that were taught even two, three years ago, no one was talking about AI as part of business. And so the world has changed very quickly, but the younger workforce coming through, you know, they're digital natives, they've grown up in the era of the smartphone, they're naturally curious with technology. And so it's no surprise that they're adopting this. You know, it's 58% of students using these technologies and they're not just using them to write essays, which everyone's, you know, controversially talking about. They're using them to learn, to make sense of content, to coach them on their writing style for different audiences, to help them brainstorm new ideas. And, And these are great skills preparing them for the workforce. And we see the same trend happening in the, the younger workforce already. So similarly, a third of workers are already using these technologies. Um, the younger workers under 24 are three times more likely to be using them than their peers. So those who are using it daily are saving upwards of five hours in their work week, which is, you know, quite significant. Yeah, you just mentioned then the ways in which students are using it. I think, you know, when people talk about students using it, they normally think that they're using it to cheat. Um, But what are the younger members of the workforce using it for? And and many of them are using it without their bosses potentially even knowing that they're doing it. Yeah, look, that is an alarming stat for me as someone who works with organisations every day to get value out of artificial intelligence technologies. The fact that almost 70% of employees aren't telling their organisation about the use of these AI tools, we we simply won't be able to unlock the productivity promise of these tools if we don't redesign the way we work and support younger workers to use them, but all workers to use them. You need to have clear guidelines for usage and a strategy for how you want to adopt them. But we have to have also a culture of experimentation, testing, learning to work in new ways and and, and welcome ideas from the younger workers that this comes so naturally to and who are already on that journey. So they're using it for things like you know, meeting agenda shaping, for developing PowerPoint presentations, for for coaching them on, you know, how to write an executive level um, pitch to someone who's quite senior in the organisation and is time poor, um, to check grammar, to, you know, all of the things that we, we kind of use. And I think, you know, where we see the technology going and, and Microsoft is a great example of that with their co-pilot offering, it's, it's just going to end up being embedded into the tools we use every day. So Microsoft co-pilots um, coming to a lot of organisations soon, it uses generative AI in Excel, in PowerPoint, in Word, and people won't think of them as AI tools. They'll just help us while we're using those existing tools in the same way like Spellcheck did. Yeah. Well, you mentioned earlier that there are some Australian companies, a small number, who are on the front foot with this. Are they in a particular sector? Are they more likely to be companies with young leaders, for example? Uh, I think they have a leadership style that is more forward-looking around where the world is going and and in terms of they can see that AI is going to be the next general purpose technology in the same way that the internet changed the way business ran, AI is going to do the same. And this is very much AI's moment to, you know, it's at the top of the hype cycle at the moment, which means it is going to go through a kind of trough of disillusionment in the next kind of year or so. But in general, I think 
leaders who see that this is part of the future will come through that they can see the value and they're investing early in it because it's not just about productivity. It's also around using these technologies to deliver new products and services for your customers that have never existed before to, to have competitive advantage over your, you know, competitor set. It's not in any particular sector to your question. It's, it's more, uh, I would say, a visionary type of leader that that has a, a level of tech fluency and understands that technology like AI is going to be part of business and, and there's no going back on it. The genie is definitely out of the bottle. Now, in your report, you mentioned that there were some particular industries that were going to be uh, particularly affected by the rise of AI, things like media and financial services. Can you talk to us a bit about that? Yeah, so obviously so what, I'm interested in the media part. Yeah, no <laughs> doubt, no doubt. And look, I, I think the thing is disruption is is a word that is quite emotive, but it's also to me a huge opportunity. And so why we say they're they're going to have imminent disruption is because these are the sectors that have a high potential for AI to be applied across the type of work that they do. And they also have a really high proportion of younger workforce. So the workers coming through in next year's grad cohorts and the grad cohort after that and the grad cohort after that, they're all going to be wanting to use these technologies. And there's going to be a myriad of opportunities for them to actually apply it to the type of work. So if you think about where they are, financial services, education, professional services, ICT and media, wholesale trade, these are the sectors that have a lot of knowledge work and um, and a lot of content creation. And so generative AI is a great fit for those tasks. Um, and you've got a, a, a workforce coming through that really wants to work in smarter ways. So when you say disruption, what do you mean by that exactly? I know that, you know, when we're talking about things like financial services or even um, a friend of mine is a dietitian and, and her concern is that people can just plug in, you know, this is my weight, this is what I do every week, this is what I want, I want a meal plan. And she feels like AI can replace her. But is that what we're talking about? I think there's a part of that, but there's still a role for the human in all of this. And I think that's that's the really important lesson here is that AI um, is 100% confident, but not always 100% right. And so, you know, could I use it to draft a dietitian plan? Absolutely. Can I actually vet that it's good as a non-dietitian? Probably not. And I think this is where uni students have gone wrong using it without being able to kind of vet the content and, and whether it's accurate or not. So we see humans in the loop still being so critical and, and the role of the human expert to actually verify models is, is really, really important in, in the world of AI. And so your friend should absolutely, you know, maybe make her job easier and more streamlined by using this as a first pass, but then they still have to be verified for her. So it's doing a lot of the heavy lifting for what might have taken a couple of hours to draft a plan that can be now done in minutes, but she still has to verify. So is this what you mean when in your report you were saying that AI could be our one of our best friends when it comes to condensing five days of work into four? Yes, absolutely. And, uh, you know, we really do, like I said, uh, daily users are saving around five hours a week using these technologies. And these technologies are still in their infancy. They're only going to get better and better. So, They'll, at the moment, we, we're seeing a lot of the value coming from using it to generate text. Soon we'll be able to do that for images and PowerPoints and videos and audio. And, and that really, I guess, is exciting to us for a few reasons. It means that we can look to a younger workforce to drive new ways of working that are far more productive. 
So getting the younger workforce to help us build new tools that help all workers. But we also know that it offers employees a really attractive proposition and being able to join an organisation that can deliver on that promise of working smarter and not harder. We all know how challenging it is to hire top talent these days. And so the four-day work week is definitely in sight, but but organisations have to have a strategy for the AI, right? And to embrace AI technologies and see it as a tool in their business moving forward. And, you know, if your workforce is ready and there's value in it, but you have no strategy in place to unlock that value, that's a problem. That's a disruptive force. So where does Australia need to get up to speed here? What what have you seen other countries doing better or organisations in other countries doing better? Look, I think we see it here too. There's pockets of awesomeness, right? And I think that the key thing is, first of all, having leadership buy-in and support. And that starts with educating leaders of business around what is this technology and how does it deliver value to your business in, in terms of your strategy that you're trying to deliver? Like, how, how can AI help you as a tool to execute on that? Second thing is setting up a culture of experimentation. So the organizations that are doing this well, they'll understand what their big strategic objectives are, whether it's, you know, improving customer experience or being more efficient or new kind of ways of delivering interesting and exciting content. Like these are all goals, but then they're going to the younger workers and saying, this is what we're trying to achieve. How can this technology help us? And and if you've got the idea, can we help pilot it and experiment with it? So they're they're setting strategic goals, but then they're letting anyone in the organisation come up with ideas using these technologies of how to solve those problems. And so it's it's kind of then focusing on harnessing the innovation across the whole workforce, but doing it in a structured way that aligns to strategic priorities, as opposed to kind of having a thousand flowers blooming that nobody knows about, that's not particularly linked to, to value for the organisation, that doesn't reinvent work or the way that people work around it that's a bad outcome where you're taking a much more structured approach to experimenting. We're seeing a lot more value quickly. You know what? This is the first interview I've ever done about AI. That makes me feel excited about it. Oh, that's exciting. Well done. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's so cool. Like, and I don't, I think that's the thing is to encourage anyone listening is to just get onto these tools and actually have a play with it and test them and, you know, experiment around what they're good at and what they're not good at. Almost try to like break them as in like, I bet you you can't do this and just see, you'll see the limitations of them pretty quickly, but you'll also, you'll know, you'll see the the huge potential that they have in terms of just being able to make our, our jobs way more easy. And I kind of think about it at the end of the day, it's like these technologies can almost take the robot out of the human and help us do the things we love about our work, not just do the robotic, mundane, repetitive stuff, you know, staring at the blank page, hoping how I've got to get started on this thing. I can now use an AI, you know, to help me do that. And I think that's super cool. And I I think at the end of the day, you know, how cool is it that our kids will never, ever have to look at a blank page and think, oh, I've just got to start this thing. There'll be someone, a little co-pilot, an AI that will be helping them from day one. And I think that's just brilliant. That was Dr. Kelly Nuttall from Deloitte. And I really liked how she said, you know, we can work in conjunction with AI. Um, that example that she gave about my friend who's the dietitian, there's always going to need to be some human interaction. And I do think it is short-sighted of big companies to not get on this wagon early, particularly when we've got a whole new generation of students coming through who are already using it. And we don't want there to be an even greater digital divide between executives, older executives and the younger workforce. 
listener.